Hello, everybody, and welcome to Toddler Purgatory. Todd Purgs. <laughs> so, I'm Molly. I'm Blair. And today we are talking about, oh, let me tell you something, sibling rivalry. I don't have more than one child. I have one child, but I do have a sister. Mm, yes. So I know all about that sibling rivalry. And see, the weird thing for me is that I'm dealing with sibling rivalry now with my children who are 2.5 years apart, but I have a brother who is very much older than me, 13 years, and we never fought. So it's like, it's so weird. I'm just like, what is this dynamic? It's so weird. Don't you think it would be weird for you and your brother to have fought? Because it would be like a giant teenager fighting with a toddler. With a toddler. Yes. Yeah. It would have been very, very weird. And it wasn't even as if you were like going in his room without his permission or whatever. Because didn't you say you mostly remember him a little bit in high school, but mostly he was gone? Yeah. We moved to Germany when I was four. And he graduated from high school right when we moved. So when we got to Germany, he went off to college and he stayed in college for a long time. <laughs> he did just for funsies or because he was on the eight year plan or what? He was on the eight year plan. Oh, yeah. I feel that. Because when you are 17 and you moved to Germany, you're like, uh, school what? Oh, my gosh. Because I'm sure he could do all the things he couldn't do in America legally, right? Yeah. All of the things. And it was just like. And it's just like, it's just super dope in Germany. Anyway, so yeah, we didn't fight like that. Well, it's funny that you say that because I was reading this article from the Cleveland Clinic, and they talk about this pediatrician named Sigmund Knorr. And Sigmund says that, you know what, we're on a first name basis. I'm sure he prefers to be called Dr. Knorr. <laughs> but here at Toddler Purgatory, we keep it personal. <laughs> he says the majority of fights arise due to underlying causes, such as birth order, and family dynamics. So the interesting thing is, your brother would always have birth order over you, obviously, because he's like the clear firstborn. But family dynamics, that wouldn't be reflected too much on you because he was already kind of out by the time you were growing up. And he would have been an influence on you, uh, sibling rivalry wise. Mm -hmm. In fact, he was more of like a dad. He was like a second dad. That was awesome having three parents in the house. And then when I was in high school, when I was 17, We'd moved back and he was back with us. He was living with us and I was complaining to him about our parents. And then he was like acting like all parenty. And I was like, dude, I was like, I need a brother right now. Right. And he was like, all right, I feel you. I got you. And from that moment on, he's just been like my bro. Oh, that's interesting. I love you, Keith. Aw, Keith. Shout out, Keith. <laughs> That's really sweet that he listened. Oh, no, he listened. And we talk about that moment a lot. We talk about that moment comes up a lot because he was like, Really? I got it. He's like, I heard you loud and clear. And he was like, I was also like, yeah, that sucks to have like three parents. But yeah, he was probably at the age where he had already processed all his stuff yeah. from being a kid. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, one of the other, you know, from this article in Cleveland Clinic, the other thing they say is a big deal or a big cause of sibling rivalry, unshockingly, is competing desires for the parents' attention. Oh, do I feel that? I yes. mean, of course. Oh, I, I'm sure you are with your five-year-old and your two-year-old. <sighs> and it's more, it's more, my, it comes more from my five-year-old because he gets it, right? Mm -hmm. My two-year-old is like, whatever. Out of my way, homie. You know? Yeah. And then my, like, say for if we, like, if we praise her for something. Yeah. Like, oh, good job. You went. She's potty training right now. 
Send help. So she went poo-poo in the potty last night. I was like, yes. Hey. Hey, you went poo-poo in the potty. Good girl. And then my son comes out and he's like, mom, <laughs> I'm a poo-poo in the potty too. <laughs> I'm like, I know. You have for three years. <laughs> yeah, you've been doing a good job. But you know, it's like that thing. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's funny too, because that's tapping into not only this thing like age difference, which will never change for them. Never. Certain dynamics between them will change, of course, as they get older, hopefully, you know, in a positive way when they're out of the rivalry part. But some things are never going to change. The birth order is never going to change. Your five-year-old is always going to be older than your two-year-old. And temperament, they said, is a big one. Sibling rivalry, temperament, every personality is so different. So the way you parent or what your needs are going to be, what tool from your tool belt you're going to need has so much to do with with what your kid's like. Like, it'll be interesting as your two-year-old grows up and she's so such an individual, you know, she really thrives on that kind of independence and autonomy and stuff. It'll be interesting to see how that's going to change with even like the layout of your apartment, like where they go to have their me time and stuff. Yeah, they share a room right now. And I think about like when they're older, if we're still here, like what are they going to do? Where am I going to put them? Who's going to, because they have a big room. Then we have like a guest bedroom that's smaller. I'm like, yep, I'm going to lose up my guest bedroom because one of these kids is going to want to be in there. And it's like, there's a lot. Yeah. That I wish that I had because like, I see all my friends who had like siblings and how that dynamic works and how it worked as when they were kids. I'm just like, oh, I feel like I'd have like a better grip and a handle on this if I had been through it. Well, I mean, you'll obviously feel it out and you're going to learn a lot today here on Toddler Purgatory about how to move forward with that. Thanks, Todd Pergs. Thanks, Todd Pergs. You're welcome. What's, how you doing? I'm Todd Pergs. This is my first time here at the conference center and I'm uh, thrilled to be here. Thank you. <laughs> what was that? My hello, my name is sticker. Hello, my name is Todd Perks. Thank you so much. But the interesting thing that I read, because, okay, so my sister growing up was only four years older than me. And so we spent a lot of time together, but also, you know, we had neighbors and back then you could like say goodbye to your parents. Bye-bye. It's 9 a.m. I'll be back by sundown, you know, like essentially. Right. (laughs) And hop on your bike, no helmet, and a banana seat with like a big crack in the hard plastic of the banana seat Mm -hmm. because it's you're the Mm -hmm. third or fourth person to have it, you know, going down through the friends and friends of friends and family. But I could hop on my bike and ride up and hang out. And sometimes my older sister came with me, sometimes she didn't. But I feel like we had moments of great tension. We obviously had, we're sisters. We're only four years apart. We're pretty different personality wise. And as we've discussed on the pod before, (laughs) both my parents like have degrees in psychology. So Uh, probably helped. (laughs) Probably did. So annoying, but true that it did help us. No, it it really did, I'm sure. But to this day, my sister and I have said to each other when visiting my parents' house where we grew up, no, actually, that's my seat at the dinner table. (laughs) Oh, no, (laughs) it's funny. It's so funny that you should say that because I always sit in that seat. I've always sat in that seat. And I have always been like, I know that a picture exists of me sitting in that seat from when I was like 11 years old. And I will go to the ends of the earth to find it to prove to my sister, again, just to recap, that that was my seat (laughs) from when we were kids. Oh, because sometimes it doesn't go away, you know. I read this article on Ask Dr. Sears. Dr. Sears is a pediatrician. And he has eight children and talking about a little bit of the dynamics going back and forth in two of his son's are only 26 months apart. It's just like your kids, so close. Yeah. And they have forever kind of gone back and forth with who 
is the more blank, whatever that is. Like mm-hmm. one of them, you know, it used to be that they competed with grades. Then it was with sports. Then it was with friends. And then one of them got married first. And then the other one had the first grandkid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to this day, they kind of, but they're also close, close friends. And which is important. And also they're in the practice, I believe, with their dad as well. So they not only work together, but they're actually quite close. And so Dr. Sears says, and also Dr. Noor in the Cleveland Clinic article says that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we can do when they are young to set them up for success to, you know, you can't, you're not going to solve sibling rivalry. Like you're not going to solve it. Cleveland Clinic says sibling rivalry is inevitable. But Dr. Sears says, and I loved this clarification kind of on that theme, which was that the degree of sibling rivalry and whether or not it has long-term positive or negative consequences. That makes so much sense. Depends on what parents do about it now. And it's, he says, yet out of control, sibling rivalry should not be considered an unavoidable consequence of having more than one t- child. I love that. Mm. Wait, say that again? Yes, this is so good. This is Dr. Sears. Out of control sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry is, is going to happen, you know. But how much the long-term effects are positive or negative depends on what your parents do about it. And out of control sibling rivalry should not be considered an unavoidable consequence of having more than one child. So if this sibling rivalry is like... Again, out of control to me is like fist fights, can't get along, can't spend time in a room together, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like just that really hostility or violence mm-hmm. that should not be considered an unavoidable part of having more than one child. I really like that because like it is handleable. And don't feel like you're too late, parents, moms and dads or caregivers that are listening right now. The tools that we're going to give you, you can start implementing right away. Obviously, it helps if you're able to have the time to get in there <laughs> and foster friendships, <laughs> right? As opposed to comparisons. Yes. What's that? Referee? Yes. <laughs> refereeing is actually one of the things, one of our tools that we're going to learn. Because <laughs> sometimes one thing I really liked about the Dr. Sears stuff is that he says, sometimes you are just going to have to observe. Sometimes you are just going to have to like let them figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. I can't tell you how many times they've like been at each other's throats, just like over a toy. I'm like, all these toys in this apartment... And this is the one that both of you have to have at this entire moment. Yep. I'm like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Listen, y'all go ahead and get in the battle cage because I'm out. Yep. No, thank you. It's true. In these articles, they say it's never about the toy. It's not about the toy. It's not about the toy. It's about control. It's about the hierarchy. It's about control. It's about your attention. Yes. It's about their self-esteem. It is. You know what's so funny? It's something I did to my son, which I don't know if, if it was a te- teaching moment, but... My little one, she's feisty, right? Because she's kind of had to fight for it, right? Sure. And I'm not a gender mom. Like, I don't go by gender norms. I'm very just like, we're gender fluid. Like, I don't put like those things on them. So I don't like to say, oh, she's like, you know, she's demure because she's a girl. No, she's feisty because she is who she is. But I was looking at a video of them playing together when she was just like maybe... It's like just under a little bit under one. Yeah. And my oldest was just like snatching stuff out of her hands. and She was losing her mind. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. This is why she is the way she is sometimes with you. Because you've been doing this to her before she was even a year old. You know? (laughs) Yeah. So I showed him the video. I was like, yo, come here for a second. I'm going to show you something. Right. So I'm like, listen. I was like, you know how your sister gets a little nuts when you take things from her and she screams and she goes, you know, I was like, maybe 
this is why. Maybe this has something to do with it. You see what you're doing to her in this video. And of course, he was like, whoa, <laughs> look at me, look at her. You know, I'm like, this isn't, you know, WWF. This isn't for your entertainment. I'm trying to sh- prove a point here. Oh, they love videos of themselves, though. Love it. Love it. <laughs> and I was like, you see how And it didn't really register. But to me, it did. I was like, oh, yeah. This is totally why she's like holding strong because that's her instinct is to fight. Which is so funny because that kind of, I think, in some ways plays into her personality anyway. Like she is a feisty person regardless of how her older brother treated her, you know. But it is interesting about thinking about sibling rivalry teaching you resilience and also sibling rivalry affecting them as they get older with their self-esteem and how they relate to other kids and friendships. Yeah. Too And like what they expect, how they treat people. Man, my son is pretty competitive and he's an only child, so I can only imagine, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like (laughs) how it must be with, you know, if he had another kid in the family, you know, and maybe it would teach him to chill out. I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know what it's teaching them. Yeah. Because they can really go at each other's throats so hard, but then like they're just like natural when they plant themselves on the couch. Mm -hmm. It's like they're entangled with each other. (laughs) Their limbs are entangled or, you know, my son's got his arm around her. It's so beautiful. So in these moments when they're, you know, ripping each other's throats off, I'm just like, oh, well, maybe this is healthy. (laughs) I know. I mean, I think within reason, you're right. And like with my sister and I, my parents to this day always say, Yeah, we would hear you guys fighting in the other room. And we would finally, because sometimes at times my sister and I shared a room, at times we didn't. They said we could hear you fight in the other room. As soon as we had decided, you know what? I think that's enough. We should go in and make sure one of them isn't, you know, being held up by the hair or something. (laughs) By the time they walked the seven steps to our room and opened the door, we were lying on the ground laughing at something Mm. that they don't understand. It's like a secret language. So like my sister is, is the best person. Like she's the best person I know. Also, we definitely almost killed each other a few times when we were kids. <laughs> so listen, when we come back from the break, as Dr. Nora says, all hope is not lost. <laughs> there is no way to stop the bickering forever, but there are many ways to minimize conflict and to maximize productive resolution. Start with small changes. When we come back, we're going to talk about those changes, yo. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. It's January, and for me, that means New Year's resolutions. I don't know about you, but eating more healthy foods is always on the top of my goal list. Eating healthy is now easier with Hungry Root, and right now, Hungry Root is offering Toddler Purgatory listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Hungry Root makes it easy to eat healthy. They support all the major diets and lifestyles, including gluten-free, vegan-vegetarian, dairy-free, low-carb, and others. Hungry Root is the easiest way to get fresh, 
fresh, high quality food delivered to your door. They've got healthy groceries and simple recipes all in one place. I love that Hungry Root recommends recipes and groceries based on my taste. I like to take their suggestions and I always love what I get. My favorite are their burritos. I can quickly heat up a burrito and have lunch with no hassle. Right now, Hungry Root is offering toddler purgatory listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to hungryroot.com toddler to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's hungryroot.com toddler. Don't forget to use our link so they'll know we sent you. Welcome back to Toddler Purgatory, where we are talking about sibling rivalry and what to do about it and how it goes down. You know, all that good stuff. All that good stuff. So here are some things. I don't know. Blair, it'd be interesting to hear how you handled this. One of the steps that Dr. Sears suggests is probably not well. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you did. Your kids are pretty good kids. This is something that I think a lot of parents do somewhat instinctively, and I think it's really great and wise, which is they have their kids become friends before the baby comes. So this is if you have a two or three or four year old and then you're pregnant or you're expecting a baby in some way and you make your older kid part of it. You have them, it's not even like building up expectations. It's about having them be not outside this magic time that you're having. So they say, oh, show them those pictures. You know, those weird, creepy, (laughs) I love them so much, (laughs) the 3D pictures. I don't know how they get those pictures, but they are so incredible, so accurate. My son legit looks like that 3D picture from when, what's it called? It's a 4D. What's the fourth dimension? (laughs) (laughs) I actually, in my head, I thought to myself, I think it's called 4D, but if I say that and it isn't, I'm going to sound like I watched the Twilight Zone. No, it's 4D because it's like you see it from four dimensions as opposed to, I don't get it, but I love it. I don't need it. (laughs) Science is hard. Science is hurts my brain. But it is funny, like, I say it's creepy in a very complimentary way. Like, it is so wildly accurate. It's so cool. So accurate. Anyway, show them all those pictures. Show the baby the pictures. If you have the pregnant person in your home, have them feel the belly, feel the kick. If you have a baby book or baby pictures of them as a baby, you can say, this is what it was like when you were the baby's size, or this is what, you know, the baby's going to look like when they come out, et cetera, et cetera. And just having them be a part of the process means that when that baby comes out, maybe it'll lessen any resentment that they have. (laughs) Because of course, you know, I want to be the baby. I'm sure as a refrain, some of you have heard, but I'm the baby, but I want to be the baby. Look at me, mama. I'm the baby too. Just like your five-year-old saying, yeah, I go potty. I I go poop in the potty. And the flip side of that is, no, no, no. Me next, me next, right? Like I'm going to be the baby now. My son still likes acting like a baby and he's not competing with anybody. Mm-hmm. For our affection. It's a comforting feeling. Yep. It's back when things were easy. And you know what you get when you're a baby. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The other thing you can do to try and kind of fight that I want to be the baby phase when the baby does come is to give your older child or children specific, like literal job titles. A chore. Mm-hmm. Like one of them, it was a really sweet example was, oh, your mama's helper. Okay, can mama's helper grab the diapers? You know, that kind of thing. So they're not the baby, but they're acknowledging their importance and their role in raising the baby. When my little one was born, first of all, we bought books because that's how my son loves to read. So we bought him a couple books. There was this one book. It's called 
you were first could to this day still can't get through it it's like all the things that they did first with you <gasps> oh my gosh <sighs> and you'll always be my bait it's a lot and of course that was the one that he liked the most and i was like dad you got this great i can't get through it i can't get through it yeah but one big helpful thing that we did actually two when i was in the hospital i read that don't have your oldest mm-hmm. Come to you when you're holding the baby, like come in the room and have it holding the baby because it seems as though you're setting up like, oh, look what I possess. There's some kind of psychology to it. I forget. I totally can understand that, though, because it's like, this is mine and I'm sharing it with you as opposed to look at this baby we have. Right. So what I did was I had my husband. He was at home with our son the three days that I was in the hospital. But the day that he came to meet our daughter or his sister, I told them to meet me at the nursery and they were going to bring her out to us all. Because it was like we all were at the window looking at all the babies. And then we pointed who his sister was and then the nurse brought her out to us. And it was like, right, it, we all got to look at And he thought that, you know, she was made and born in the nursery. <laughs> oh, for sure. The room birthed that child. Yeah, right there. We got just figure out the baby store right there. Yes. <laughs> and then also giving him a chore. So I would tell him, okay, you're in charge of her feet. Because that was a big thing. Like sometimes they're a little rough with babies that I kept reading. So I was like, yeah. So I'd be like, all right, you're in charge of her feet. You got to make sure that you keep her feet warm. You got to make sure that she's got her socks on. You got to make sure that the blankets on her feet. So that was like his job. I also made him go get me like diapers and stuff. <laughs> when I was like, do me a solid kid and go grab me a diaper. <laughs> but that was the thing. And he loved it. And sometimes he would check on our hands. It was the... Blair, let me tell you something. That is adorable. It was precious. I stayed in tears, not only from the pain and from the absolute exhaustion, but also from the absolute... A preciousness. That's adorable. And to this day, he makes sure she wears socks daily. (laughs) It worked. That's wonderful. I love that. And that's part of making that older child feel important and part of it. And also what a loving gesture for you to set that up for him. Yeah. Like, good job, mom. Ah, sometimes I get it right. (laughs) And then the next thing that they talk about, and that, you know, I think you kind of hit on it with like setting it up to be aware of your little kid's role in this and how he's in charge of the feet and you take, I don't know, there's something about that's like setting the example for how we care for this baby, how this baby is a part of our life. And a lot of that also comes down to like, so you are being a good role model. You're setting the tone. Yes. So this also applies if you don't have an infant in the home, if you have two toddlers, say a two-year-old and a four-year-old or three and a five. If you are calm, cool, and collected, then your kids in general will be too. If there's a lot of strife in the home, Mm -hmm. how the parents in the home or adults in the home interact with each other, yeah. how you treat each other, Oh yeah, that sets the tone for the kids. Oh, yeah. That's a big one. It is big and it's hard because we can't always get along with our spouse or significant other or, you know, a lot of us have more than just two partners in the home, you know, have other grandparents or family members or whatever. We talking about like polygamy. <laughs> I was like, we do? I was like, is this something you're not telling me, Molly? I meant like multi-generational, not multi-partners. Who's this other partner of yours? And why have I not met them? <laughs> Listen, listeners, you do you. But I did mean multi-generational. <laughs> there's a word for it, you know, when you have more than one generation in the home. But so there's a lot of... I could use another wife. Oh, man. 
But anyway, there's a lot of dynamics in a household. So try and keep them peaceful. It's so funny. I jokingly said to my neighbor, who's a really good friend of ours, I said to her when we first moved in, I said, yeah, it's funny, you know, having the houses somewhat close together because, you know, yelling is my love language. So get ready for that. And she kind of <laughs> laughed, but it kind of is like I come from a big, loud Irish family. One time I worked in, in a law firm that was people mainly from Italy or of Italian descent. And I was like the loud Irish receptionist and they have their own dynamics, you know, like loud, gregarious, super fun, super opinionated. And then they threw me in the mix and they were like, it's the combination of the best combination in history, the Irish and the Italians. We belong together. It's so funny. But we all spoke at loud decibel levels. We all had big opinions, big laughs. I loved it. I loved working in that law firm. Shout out Lombardi Law Firm in Providence, Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're still practicing law, but that was a great place to work. Anywho. But yes, in the way my husband and I deal with each other and deal with our conflicts, it has to set the tone for our son. You know, as for his, he, we don't have another sibling. You know, at some point we might foster or adopt or something, but right now he's an only child and how he, that feelings that he brings to his school relationships, to his other friend relationships, to the neighbor down the road. It's not all going to come from how we deal with each other, my husband and I, because my son is also an independent human being with independent thought and opinions and emotions, but it certainly is going could impact that. And then the next one, Blair, you might identify with another step to help prevent conflict to begin with is making sure that you celebrate the individuality of your kids, like spend time with each of them doing their favorite things individually when you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's helped a lot, like especially like when I pick my son up from school. Yeah. We do, like, I love taking him to Trader Joe's. So is that one of your things you do with your son? That's his jam? That's one of our things. My little two-year-old, she loves doing, like, <laughs> putting on makeup. We haven't put on actual makeup, but I'll give her, like, a little lip gloss. And she likes to do, like, hair. This is all, like, just things that she's become interested in. So we'll play. I'm big on play. I don't do it a lot. Like, I'm not, like, the playmate, but I do right. carve out times for, like, you know, playing with my kids. And I like to do the individual things that they like to do. But I also, I don't know if this is a part of it or if we're going to touch on this, but I really encourage my son when he does do good, healthy things and behaves in a way that's very loving and empathetic to his sister, I really point them out. Because I just think that this is so important Yes. You know, positive reinforcement of the good times as opposed to constantly coming down when they're fighting. Yeah, for sure. Like he'll be doing his homework sometimes and, you know, it's very much his time and he likes to be at the table by himself. But sometimes she'll come and just like, you know, wreck stuff. And <laughs> I love her. <laughs> but sometimes he'll pull out. <laughs> she's, she's something else. But he'll pull out a piece of paper and he'll give her something and he'll like write a letter down and say, okay, now your turn. You And I'll just be like, yo, man, that is so incredibly sweet that you're teaching your sister the alphabet. And he'd be like, yeah, I'm a nice kid. That's great. That positive reinforcement is so good. Yeah, I just feel like I got to do that because I really don't want them to battle it out all of the time. Yeah, exactly. They're going to bicker, but... That's awesome. And then it's so you're using positive reinforcement. You're also doing stuff with just mm -hmm. him that he loves. Mm -hmm. And obviously time is a privilege. So if you and some people have way more than two kids. So do what you can to carve out a little extra time to really look deep into your kids eyes. Talk to them about what's important to them, whether it be soccer or art or 
fashion design or Legos, even if it's just a few minutes here, the quality of that is going to make them feel special and increase their confidence. Yeah. And I'm not talking like, listen, like, I'm not talking like we sit down and play salon for hours. I'm talking like we sit down and play salon for like 10 minutes. I love it. It's perfect. This is one thing I read that I actually never thought about, which is while you're celebrating their individuality and spending time with them doing their favorite things, this is interesting. Avoid labels and pigeonholing them. So in other words, you also don't want to say, well, this is my artist son and this is my athlete son. Yeah. And this is my fashion design daughter or whatever. I don't mean to be gender specific, but that's just, you know, an example. Because then they're going to feel like they can't, they wouldn't be encouraged if they broke out of that. They might, you know, we stay where we're comfortable, right? So that might not encourage them to try new things, et cetera. So this isn't, I actually never thought about that because I think sometimes I do that. I think sometimes I say, well, you know us, we love blank because I'm trying to like just strengthen the bond between me and my son or the family dynamic being like, oh, well, you know, we're a such and such family. And maybe I should watch that because I don't want him to feel and also maybe later on rebel against a label I have given him. Right. Whoopsie. Whoopsie. He's going to just turn around and become an accountant (laughs) and rebel. (laughs) Take this, mom. I'm a CPA. I'd be like, oh, what did I do wrong? (laughs) I am joking. Being a CPA would be incredible for him to do. (laughs) We're just jealous. We're just absolutely jealous. We're just jealous because he comes from a weird, loud artist family. (laughs) And at some point, he's going to be like, I'm done with this stuff. Here's another thing. If you have an infant and a toddler, you might be listening to this right now and being like, oh, I'm so sure that I have so much time when I put my infant down Mm. (laughs) to play with my toddler because I have so much energy and time on my hands. I know that that's not true. I can't even imagine. So this Dr. Sears suggests doing stuff like getting some baby carriers so that you, when your infant can sleep on you while you have some quality time with your toddler yeah. or it can just be chilling in there, just be chilling in there with their pacifier during their awake time because you're still getting that time with your infant, but you're also able to carve out a little bit of one-on-one play a game, et cetera, with your kid. We put her in an exosaucer. Oh, that sounds cute. Yeah. It's just like one of those like holders. It looks like a jumperoo, but then it has like the play stuff, the tabletop. And yeah, and then there's like, put her in there. And my oldest would just go nuts, play with her in it. It was great. That sounds great. I love that. So yeah, get one of those kind of things so that you do have alone time for each of them. But also when you have one kid who's an infant, in some ways it's harder. And in some ways it might be a little easier to double up that time. Oh yeah. The baby carrier is key with the second. Holy moly cannoli. That's all I did. I strapped the kid in my wild bird and we just went. Because when you have a toddler and an infant... They yeah. don't stop. They don't look at you and say, oh, mom, you got you look tired. You look tired. <laughs> it looks like you got a little extra something, something on your hands. Let me just, uh, you know what? Let me put myself to bed. You know, what? I'm going to independently play for a couple of minutes. Yeah, nah, you're not going to do that. So, yeah, strap that kid in. <laughs> and conversely, even though you're celebrating their individuality by spending time with them doing their favorite things. Also, the flip side of that is you got to plan family events. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You got a whole family fun time to bond, create good group memories, and with each other. Some of my favorite memories from childhood are like either the things all four of us did together that was fun, but also, and I know this sounds nuts, but like when we would go collect firewood <laughs> in the back. and sound nuts. We had so much fun. Like me and my sister, like my sister would hold her arms out as if she was like waiting for a baby to fall from the sky. <laughs> but I would put, you know, like the firewood in her arms. I'd load her up and she'd bring it over and then she'd come back and load me up. You know, you'd grab a couple, but then you can only grab a couple and then you just hold your arms like that for your 
sibling to put more in. And then my mom would be doing it over there. And my dad would be, you know, operating the chainsaw like, and then we'd all go in and we'd have hot cocoa or tea or whatever, or go our separate ways, you know, or Jenny and I would go play and my parents would, you know, move on to their next thing. But those kind of group, especially outside, let's be honest, activities are the best memories. Yeah. Listen, don't forget either that it's the simplest things. Sometimes I go nuts planning things for the whole family and my kids won't mention anything about it, right? But then we'll do something simple like just something like making pancakes in the morning. They make pancakes in the morning with their dad and that's all they talk about. Keep it simple. And if you can get chores done while you're keeping it simple and having fun, that's a bonus. That's a bonus. Get that firewood stacked, baby. (laughs) Get to work. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about, okay, these are all the things that we have set up. We're trying to set our kids up for success. But as Dr. Sears and Dr. Nora both said, you know, bickering and some episodes of sibling rivalry are somewhat inevitable. We just want them to get out of control. So we're going to figure out how to handle it when we do come upon that. When do we get back? Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome back to Solid Purgatory, where we're talking about sibling rivalry, how we can manage it, What else do you have for us? Okay, so we have learned that there are ways that we can set up those alliances, if you will, those friendships, set up our kids to be friends. One last thing I want to say about that is something that we can do to set our kids up for success is, this came up in both articles, treat kids fairly, not equally. Ah, that's smart. I love that. That's smart. Because... 
you know, you wouldn't give the same gift to both your kids if it didn't appeal to one or either of them. So it's about treating them fairly, not equally. And this is yet another sort of acknowledgement of their individuality. Absolutely. So you have to tailor even like, you know, the things you're going to have to say, punish them for because they did wrong or because they were out of line or whatnot are going to be different. Mm -hmm. How they learn from their punishments is different because they're different brains. Just like how every kid learns differently, the gifts that you give them, et cetera. So if you tailor them to their individual needs and likes, they will feel like their own person. But you do want to be fair about that. Fair, not equal. Yep. I love that. So now they're fighting. Now you're in the kitchen, you're cleaning up or you're making sandwiches or whatever, and you can hear them, cats and dogs, fighting like cats and dogs in the living room. So the first thing you have to remember is that it takes two to tangle. I love that phrase. It takes two to tangle, not tango. (laughs) They tango too, but... They can tango, but they're not right now. They're tangling. (laughs) So don't play the blame game. You're going to go in there and they're both going to be him, her, him. They did it. They started it, whatever. Uh, uh, Uh-uh-uh. We're not getting into that right now. Let's, let me just listen and see what's happening. If they continue hitting or turning to violence, you have to be super firm and super calm. That violence is not how we solve problems. We use it using our voices, using words. And it's the only way that we'll be handling this. And I am here to listen. Right? Yeah. And so listen to each of them about what happened and try to give them problem-solving tools. This is an opportunity. Right, Blair, like you mentioned earlier, like sometimes it is a teachable moment. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like, oh God, they're going to hurt each other. I need to... (laughs) (laughs) I need to step in. I need to get in there. Or should I? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So like use your gut, trust your gut in this situation. As the article in Cleveland Clinic says, in order to avoid future disputes, use conflict as an opportunity to provide your children with tools for solving future problems. You know we're talking about compromising. You know we're talking about sharing. You know we're talking about and maybe even teaching them about taking a step back to see the situation from another light. I do it all the time because the necessity to breathe, it's something that I do as we do as actors. It's like something that's like necessary when we're on stage, when we're, you know, in front of the camera, anything like that. But a lot of the times before something starts or as I see it escalating, I say, okay, everybody take a deep breath. And I make them, they have to show me that they're breathing and taking a deep breath and taking the time to like realize that the situation may not be as straight up dire as it is. Oh gosh, isn't it so charged? It's so charged. Everyone's red in the face and oh, it's all like, oh. and I'm like, okay, everyone stop right now and breathe. Take a deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth, in through your nose, out through your mouth. And it's like, okay, now we can talk about it. Or they just keep going out and I'm like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> I mean, in some ways you have to look at it as individual moments, just like we look at our children as individual human beings. There are going to be some sibling rivalry moments that they need to learn to work out on their own, especially older kids. And I know our podcast is more for six and under. So we're kind of giving them the tools now so that later on when they're 14 and 16, they don't punch a hole in the wall. I have to tell you, I did break glass once with my hand because I was so angry at my sister. I did not know it was going to happen. (laughs) What did you do? Throw it? No, I wanted to scare my sister. She was standing on the other side of a door and she was getting right up against the glass like, and we were teenagers. And when she pulled her head back from taunting me or doing whatever she was doing, that was a very natural thing to do, you know, in that moment, whatever it was. I took my hand and I just went to hit the glass like, because I was incredibly mad and frustrated and I feel emotions in a big way. And for some reason, I don't know if it was like 
cold, so the glass was fragile. If it was hot, because the glass was fragile. Or if I just don't know my own strength, thank you. Thank you, biceps. Uh, or you just turned into Herculina. I just Herculina hulked out in that moment. And I went, I put my flat hand against the glass and it just crumbled down. It's just like, oh. boom. It didn't shatter. It didn't get on her in any way. For some reason, like she stood there and she was totally fine. And we both just stood there and then we both burst into tears, of course, because I never meant to do that. Oh, right. Of course. Oh, but man, that rage is really hard. And like, nobody knows how to get to you more than your siblings. Of course. Nobody knows your buttons more. Of course. Of course. Anyway. <laughs> so to try, and my parents did a pretty darn good job when I was a kid. I mean, me and my sister are very close. But that was a moment. That's how heated, how charged these things can be. So, yes, yeah, so that's when we were kids. Hopefully, I imagine that my parents said, what is a more positive, appropriate way you guys can handle this conflict, right? Always look at it from the other side. One thing that Dr. Norris says, which I really like, which is make punishments private. And that means from the other child. Mm. He says, if a spat between siblings results in the need for punishment, avoid making the conversation public. This can shame a child in front of his or her siblings, creating greater animosity between them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. This is the time to teach a lesson, not make an announcement. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Oops. Guilty. Take them aside. I know, because in some ways you're like, I'm sure, or at least I would think to myself, oh, this is a good opportunity for the other siblings to see that they cannot get away with what this kid just did. Exactly. Or sometimes I'm just so busy. I'm like making, I'm doing 50 things at once. I'm making dinner. I'm filling out school forms. And then they're going at it. And I'm just like, ah! who hit who? Go to your room. Who hit who? Exactly. That's yes. exactly what I do. And then I'm just like, oh, good. Now, shut the door. Don't just go in there. Shut the door. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see your face. <laughs> but then hopefully later you can go in there and explain and see it from the other side and stuff. Because these arguments are going to get heated for you and the kids. Yeah. So do what you can to just breathe. Be that positive example. Be that calm, cool person. If you can. Ugh. If you can. I know. Once everybody's calm, the last suggestion they have is have a family meeting. Gather the family and talk to give everybody a chance to say what they want to say. It's also an opportunity to establish house rules that everyone can agree to. Yeah, that's for like later on down the road because my 2.5 year old is not listening to anything we have to say in a family meeting. She's like, I did it and I felt it and I'm done. I'm out. I think you're probably right. I do think this. I think my five-year-old son would love to be. It's sort of like the other tool we have which is giving them an important role when if you have an infant and a toddler, making sure that they're part of it. I honestly think that my five-year-old would react really well to a family meeting, especially if he had been acting out of control or mean or hitting us or being unkind or whatever. And I've never done that. And I actually think it might work for my family. Do what works for your family and the age group. You're right, Blair. Two-year-old's going to be like, doo-ba-doo-ba-doo. She's like, yeah, okay, what are we doing here? A meeting about me? <laughs> how I behave? Oh, <laughs> you don't like how I behave? Cool, cool, cool. I'll be watching Gabby's Dollhouse. Yeah, bye. I love that show. See ya. So good. But yeah, whatever's appropriate and right for your family. I think my son would love it because he wants to be a part of everything. He has terrible FOMO. He wants a knife and fork at the table just like mom and dad, and they need to be the same size as ours. He doesn't use kids' plates. Uh, sometimes he does, but usually he doesn't because he'd rather have the same plate. But he said, but I don't have the same plate as you. So this is a kid who likes to be a part of things. I think he'd react really well to a family meeting. So I think that's going to be my takeaway from this. I don't really have a sibling rivalry issue right now. I do have a kid who sometimes has really big, strong emotions. And I think some of these tools could really work. For sure. Blair, what are your takeaways? I think my biggest takeaway from today is the idea of treating them fairly, but not equal. 
Because sometimes, especially in the heat of the moment, especially when I'm exhausted and tired, it's just like, it just becomes an equal thing. And they're not feeling equally the same way, or they weren't in the fight equally, right? Right. It could have been started by someone. So just the idea of treating them fairly and not equal, it really resonated with me. And I think I'm just going to, you know, roll with it. (laughs) I think also if I was a listener and I listened to this episode, I think that my biggest challenge would be that carving out time thing. For each of them individually, like, I love that you take your five-year-old to Trader Joe's, like, that kind of thing, or strapping on the ice skates and bringing your kid down to the pond by themselves. Because if you have more than, my parents had two kids, and it was like so much with also keeping up the house and the job, and now people are having to work from home. And, you know, I mean, it's with COVID in the schools, we had my son home all week last week. I can't imagine if I had to do more than what I did just to stay afloat that week. So I just want to tell you that I really see you. And I can really understand how sometimes we suggest these things and they might not be doable for you. So do what you can. Yeah, do what you can. Whether that's taking, carving out, like Blair said, those 10 minutes to do whatever your kid likes and to look them in the eye. I'm not in the toddler salon long. Mm -mm -mm. But it's one of her favorite things. She loves it. She really does. And I actually do love doing it with her too. So, Oh gosh, it's so fun. Thank you all (laughs) so much for listening today. Please, you know, rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, did you know that toddlerpurgatory.com? It's up and going. It has episodes. It has merch. And man, we're having a good time over there on the What Fresh Hell Facebook page. We got a lot of good stuff going on. Come join us. Come on, join us. And listen, if you have any ideas for future episodes, drop them down in that Facebook page. We'd love to hear. We want to talk about what you want to talk about. Yep. What's on your mind? What's on your mind? (laughs) Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Have a good one. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us, 